What's going on, Suns fans? Justin here, and with me, as always, is my podcasting partner, Paul. Heyo. And welcome to this episode of Fanning the Flames, your longest-running Phoenix Suns podcast that is made for the fans. That's you guys. By the fans, that is us. As always, intro and outro music is provided by Oceans Over Airplanes. Check them out over at OceansOverAirplanes.com. You can find Paul, myself, and the pod on Twitter. I'm at so says Jay and Paul. At Dervish of World. And the pod is at FanTheFlamesNBA. You can find the pod on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, other platforms, I'm sure. Rate, review, and subscribe on any platform that you listen to us on. That would be awesome. All right. All right. So, season's winding down. Pretty much. Well, it's pretty much over. over. Yeah. Yeah. Like, everybody's out. The last three games are formality. Formalities. Everybody's not playing. Everybody's not playing. Except for Jimmer. We're down, like, an entire starting lineup. Literally. I might show up a little early before the game tomorrow and just see if I can sneak my way into the locker room, maybe get some PT. Maybe you can walk out there, like... I'd, I'd like to see you, like, steal, like, DeAndre's, like, warm-up suit and, like, walk out there in this j- thing made for a seven-footer in your all your four-foot-seven-ness. Five-foot-seven-ness. Five-foot-eight, dick. You're With, not an inch shorter than me. When I'm wearing shoes. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, this isn't about me. This is about the Phoenix Suns, okay? So, yes. We're basically at the end of the season. Last three games, formality. Everybody's sitting out. They need to win all three to match their season record from last season, which I'm I'm not seeing happening. But you know, it, go on. If they lose the rest of these games, is this the worst record in franchise history? I don't know, but I can look that up, or you can look that up. Somebody can look that. Somebody up. could look that up. We'll pro- look that up at some point here this yeah. afternoon, evening, morning, whenever you're listening, and I'll Midnight. fill you in on that. Well, why don't we do this? We'll jump into our first topic here. All right. And then you can start talking a little bit. I'll look that mm-hmm. up, and then I'll mm-hmm. come back. We'll circle around, and I'll answer your question. Quit showing them how the sausage is made. <laughs> Pretty sure it's not that difficult to figure out, dude. Come on. So right now, I think yeah. the thing that's at the forefront, at least of my of my mind, perhaps your mind, Paul, yeah, perhaps what's a happening lot of people's... The, what's happening on the court doesn't, right. isn't at the forefront of our right. minds. Right, because they've already also clinched the 14% chance to get Zion. So really, again, it's all a formality at this point, but what is happening in the Suns universe right now is a GM search. Yes, which has been surprisingly quiet. It's been very quiet, and the outlook as of right now, you obviously have, and we probably don't need to talk about these two guys too much, but you've got James Jones and Trevor Buckstein who are still in the running. Yep. Um, And or Trevor Buckstein, I guess I can say, because who knows, maybe a package deal. Um, but there's no way Sarver's going to go with a yeah a, a permanent co-GM kind of thing. I can see Buckstein. You say that with such two, confidence. No if one way. of the two of them gets the job. I assume it's going to be James Jones. Oh yeah, I would absolutely agree with you there, one hundred percent. And to answer your question, Paul. Yeah. If they lose the rest of their games this year and stay at seventeen wins. 18 wins. 18 wins. You're Give them correct. a little credit here, man. You're correct. Very little credit. It would not be their worst season in franchise history. Second worst? It would be their second worst season in franchise history. It's the worst season, the inaugural season? 
the inaugural season when they won 16 games. Okay. And All right. If Easy. they win, either way, they're having the second worst season. Yeah, in it's virtually in franchise history because even if they win out, they're still tied. they're still matching last year's record, which was and the currently stands worst. as the second worst in franchise history. So, anyway, there's your answer. All right. Now let's flip back to the GM. More you know. I agree with you that if it's going to be one of the guys who are already there, it will be James Jones. If they go with James Jones, I think they'll bring in somebody that's going to, you know, kind of be a president of basketball basketball operations or what have you. But but let's talk about two other names that have been floating out there as of late. All right. And this has been reported. I think Mark Stein reported both these. There was an article on ArizonaSports.com today about this. But the other two names that have been floated are Jim Paxson and Kevin McHale. Right. I'm I'm less than impressed by both of those names. I'm... Beyond less than impressed, I am wholeheartedly confused by both of those names. No, like, both of those guys have essentially, well, actually, as we learned in our prep today, apparently Jim Paxson has been part of the Chicago Bulls front office for a while. Since 2006. Since 2006. He hasn't been in the GM role since 2005. Right. Well, 2006. 2006. Okay, sure. Ish. I, ish. Ish. Here, let me give let me give a little rundown about all right. Mr. Paxson here. First of all, I, I I was like, when I first saw his name, I'm like, no, it's John Paxson, not Jim Paxson. I'm like, oh, yeah. wait, there's a brother who's actually had a better NBA career, statistic-wise, and was a two-time All-Star. I feel like I know a lot about the NBA. No clue. Had no clue. But anyway, it's not John Paxson, thank God, but... I don't know that I want that Paxson mojo around the sun. Anyway, no. I mean, do we need to talk about 1992-93? We don't. We don't. But we all know what I'm talking about. So one of like the eight times in my life I've actually cried, and I'm not even kidding, about either aspect. I definitely cried when <laughs> fucking his brother made that shot. But putting, away, putting aside the Bulls mojo, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Jim's background here. So... He was, in 1998, named as the vice president of basketball operations for the Cavs. He then was promoted to the GM position in 99 and was in that spot until 2005 when he was fired. During his tenure as GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers, of course, they did draft LeBron James. Yeah. Tough call there. They they also had such a crappy team that they got the number one pick. Right. Well, then that's what I was getting into. Mm -hmm. They also went 185 and 307 in six years while he was the general manager. So after... Not great, Bob. Quite shitty, Bob. (laughs) So after he was fired as GM of the Cavs, like you said, Paul, he stepped into the front office of the Bulls. In 2006, he became the director of basketball operations... Um, for the Bulls. And you were right. It was 2005 was the last time he was the GM. I thought he just transitioned right into the Bulls position. So <clears throat> he was the director of basketball operations from 06 until July of 18, when he then was the became the director of pro personnel for the Bulls. What's the difference, you might ask? Not much. Not much at all. <laughs> Uh, it really seems like, at least according to his LinkedIn page, and I think maybe all fans out there should go and add him on LinkedIn. Let's all connect with Jim Paxson here. Let's see. <laughs> but he not Suns fans. We don't want him to sh- show that we have interest in this. Fair point. Fair point. Everybody else. Everybody else. All the non-Suns fans that listen to this Phoenix Suns podcast, 
Like first Ben of all, Golliver? First of all, you have a problem. Second of all, <laughs> Ben Golliver has a big problem. I want to know why he won't respond to any of my DMs. I mean, sure, 17 in a period of like a week maybe is a bit much, but, you know, maybe 16 a of bit, them weren't a, a bit. bit. Maybe 16 of them happened in three-day period, but it's beside the point. That's a rant for a different day. I think that's in the past enough. I mean, just follow me on Twitter. I probably will never stop with him. I tend to hold grudges. Whatever. I used to like his podcast, too, and then he just took this position with the Suns. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to dislike about the Suns, but particularly with his position on Booker, I just, I'm like, I don't respect your opinion anymore on anything because it's so ludicrous. You should DM him, see if he responds to you. Yeah. He hasn't blocked me yet, so... Probably because yeah. he, probably because his entire DM inbox is just filled with like random Suns fans talking. He just shit muted his inbox, his DM inbox. It's possible. It's possible. So, at any rate, Jim Paxson has yeah. been the director of pro personnel for the Bulls for the past year or so. It's not even professional personnel. It's pro personnel. Right. And and <laughs> and the real only difference is apparently when he was the director of basketball operations, he also had to pay attention to college scouting. Now he just looks at, you know. NBA scouting for future trades and free agency, and this is in his words, and uh, manages the pro personnel and the G League scouts. Now, the one positive I guess you can take out of that is, while he hasn't been at the forefront of anything GM-wise in the past decade plus, he's obviously been in the game. He's been looking at players both at the pro level and the college level, so it's not like he's coming in you know, cold and he hasn't been paying attention and he hasn't been going through processes that you would expect a GM to go through. But it was for the Bulls. But it was for the Bulls. Granted, they had some success in that time frame. I mean, those those Tibbs era years when before uh, Derek Rose got blew out his entire leg, you know, they had they had some good teams there with, I mean, Rose, Luel Dang, um, Noah, that was that was a nicely constructed team. I'm not gonna lie, but I mean, maybe it's Sarver's looking at him because he knows how to operate with cheap owners. Maybe, 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 maybe I don't know. I don't even know how to respond to that, dude. But I mean. What do you think about the console of the guy? I mean, like I said, there's at least a positive aspect of it being that, hey, he's been in a front office for the past, really, 20 years. Yeah. In one way, shape, or form. He's been dealing with scouting, um, player analysis, things like that, even though it's not as a GM for the past decade plus. So, like I said before, at least he's not coming into this without experience. He's not coming into this cold meaning he's been sitting on the sidelines and just you know watching games and (laughs) making his own notes at home but he hasn't had if if he was putting together a resume that warranted him being a gm why hasn't he come up in any gm search really since 2005 why did we not know he existed you know how many GM slots have turned over since 2005? You're looking at, what, like five on average a year maybe? Sure. So five times 14 is 70? 70 slots have turned over, and he didn't get one of those. So why now? Right. What's so special about now? I mean, 
that he's even being considered. I just it's it's odd. It is odd. I mean, and and really, that's par for the course for the Suns. Everything the Suns do is is odd. Yeah, it really is. And you know, I was just looking through this article because Arizona Sports, the article they did. They showed the other GM positions that are open and who those teams are looking at. Right. And not one of those teams appears to be looking at either Paxson or McHale. Right. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's – part of me wonders if this whole process is to make it look like they're actually looking. So we're not, run, we're not doing Earl Watson front office version. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Yeah, I mean, it, it very well could be that. There was a lot of backlash when there was no search. So, hey, and I'm saying this from the Sun's perspective, let's make it at least look like we're trying to search. And I think at the end of the day, I still strongly feel that James Jones is going to be the one that gets tagged as that, you know, GM. I, I, I'd rather have him than Paxson or McHale, frankly. Agreed. Yeah, I agreed. I mean, I... I don't think he did a bad job this season. I mean, he was in an interim position. You can only really do so much in an interim position just because, you know, you can't, the owner's not going to let you, like, blow all the assets in a season when he doesn't even know if you're going to be back running the show and mm-hmm. then leaving the next guy with nothing in the cupboard. So, I mean, he made some smaller moves for the most part. They seem to work. Granted, none of them are playing on the court right now. But that's not his fault. Mm-hmm. They were, for all intents and purposes, positive moves. They all seemed to make the team better incrementally. I mean, none of them were like big home run swings, mm-hmm. but I didn't hate his year. I'd probably give him a B minus. I think he deserves more than a B minus, frankly. I mean, I said this in a, at least one other episode, maybe a few other episodes, but. What has James Jones done this year that you can look back and go, oh, that was not the right move. He shouldn't have done that. Right. When you look back, regardless of what your reaction was at the time, like with the Tyson Chandler thing, everyone's like, oh, he's letting him go to L.A. Well, it freed up some time for Rashawn Holmes, who I think has been very impressive this year. When he shipped off Ariza, and we can talk – like we have in the past about the circumstances of that trade and how we ended up with Ubre, but the bottom line is we ended up with Ubre, who I think exceeded everyone's expectations when he came to this team. Well, I mean, everything I understand about that trade, I mean, it sounded like Washington was asking for more than the Suns were willing to give for Ubre. So that's where Memphis came in because they wanted like draft picks and young players mm-hmm. and whatnot that the Suns weren't willing to give up. But then because the whole thing fell apart, it put Washington in a position that they needed to make a deal because they were still trying to salvage a season. season. The Suns were kind of beyond that. They were trying to get rid of a malcontent. So it put Washington in a pressure situation to, okay, we still got to make this deal. Let's get it done. If we got to give up Ubre without getting getting that other stuff, that's fine. So be it. So be it. So – Unintentionally, intentionally, I think the actual probably ideal result happened. Yeah, because, I mean, at the end of the day, we ended up with a young player who performed well, who we have control of, and if we're so inclined and the money works, can keep around, and for all intents and purposes, 
I haven't seen anybody in the Suns universe on Twitter and articles, people I randomly well, talk to on the street, say anything besides, we got to keep Oubre. Well, and, and also just the, the way Oubre is talking mm-hmm. right now, um, he's talking like a guy who is coming back, not a guy who wants to right. come back. He's a guy who is coming back. I mean, I mean, he trademarked Valley Boys. Yeah, yeah. Which raises a question. You see a Valley Boys Twitter account that popped up and Valley Boys merchandise is starting to get sold. I get the feeling that's not in any way associated with Ubre. Nope. Which also makes me feel like perhaps as much as I, I do like the, the stuff they're putting out, might not be around that long. Probably not. But we'll see. We'll Probably see. small runs before he gets the uh, trademark down and whatnot. So, okay. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about Kevin McHale, too. Yeah. I mean... I've already said that I'd rather have James Jones and both these guys. Mm. But I think just, McHale's a better coach than a GM. Right. And and just to give a little background on Kevin McHale as a GM, he was the Wolves GM, and I didn't realize he was the GM that long, but from 95 to 2009, he has the... There's some guys who are really shitty at their jobs. They that, just get to stick around. Like, I mean, we just saw it in Washington. I mean, Ernie Grunfeld had been there since... He might have been there since Jordan left. Mm. He'd been there for so long. And like somehow, sometimes these guys who do mediocre to poor work in these very important high-profile positions get to stick around. So I mean, from that standpoint, that's one thing I don't hate about Robert Sarfer is he'll actually get rid of the guy. He's got no problem with turnover. <laughs> he just isn't very good at bringing in the right guy. It's better than bringing in the shitty guy and letting him stay. <laughs> right. Yeah, so Grunfield, just to answer that, started with the Wizards in 03 as the president of basketball operations. So Yeah, that was yeah. before that was Yeah, that was I think when Jordan had to step down because he started playing again. Because mm-hmm. I know Jordan played against LeBron, so and that's the year LeBron was drafted, so So, you know, the the feather in Mikhail's cap is he did draft Kevin Garnett. He's also involved in that whole Joe Joe Smith fiasco. You remember that? Yeah, that one was. Where they had the 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 hush hush wink wink deal table. where it's like you sign three contracts, one year contracts with us for lower numbers, then we'll sign you to a long extension at the or a longer contract at the end of those three years. David Stern came in, vetoed the last year, the last of those one year contracts. Joe Smith left for a bit, then came back. But they got, you know, sanctioned draft picks, fined, I think, three and a half million bucks. There's some significant ramifications that came out of that. And he had, his teams had some success in terms of making the playoffs. I think eight years in a row, they made the playoffs through, I forgot what year it was. But uh, the fact of the matter is, even though they were making the playoffs each of those years, they only made it past the first round one year. Right. And then shortly thereafter, he traded Garnett and... Shortly thereafter, again, he was gone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's really nothing in McHale's tenure that leads me to believe he could be a successful GM, like, at all. I mean, not that the Timberwolves have become a, a you know, perennial winner since he left either so you know that there's clearly something else there from a ownership perspective that is 
because that's the only other constant mm-hmm. that's hindering that whole process. But that's an issue in Phoenix, too. So, Well, and the thing, too, with McHale, <laughs> and we alluded to this with Paxson, but it's even more significant here with McHale, because Paxson, obviously, like you said, he hasn't come up in GM searches over, over time. He's not really named any other GM searches currently going on. But, again, at least Paxson has been in the front office. McHale hasn't. I mean, he hasn't been in the front office. He has been in the background at Trump rallies. Jesus, I forgot about that. That's a whole different issue. But we won't get into politics on this episode, on this episode, or on this this podcast ever, hopefully. Well, maybe sometimes. But the bottom line is this is a guy that's coming in cold. You know? He hasn't been in a front office for the past decade, albeit behind the scenes and not really well, at the that's, front that's front not of it. true. I mean I mean he, he was the coach and so he clearly was involved in those processes. He was the coach of the Rockets up until only a couple of years ago. So mm-hmm. you know he he and he had success there. Like I said, I'd much rather have him as a coach than a GM, you know. If for whatever reason they wanted to get rid of Igor, I I'd much rather see him on a potential list of coaching coaching hires than I would as a GM hire just because mm-hmm. one he was successful at the other one he was not right but again it's it's still odd it's just odd the whole process is odd it is and it, it just it seems like it's so much of it just seems like it's trying to check boxes mm-hmm. in the least obtrusive way possible because if if by just putting out names of like yeah no we're not gonna hire that guy yeah and not not a legitimate candidate that other teams look at what is interest anyway what is interest in him as a gm yeah that means that somebody from the suns probably called up mark stein was like hey tweet out that we have interest in this guy yeah and that very well could be the extent but don't say anything about david griffin because you know he's actually like a good gm yeah, and that's uh, somebody who I had a note here to talk about. How do the Suns? How, how is he not on the Suns list? I just, part of me wonders if when he left, was it did it end on that bad of terms that he wouldn't even want to be on the list? It's quite possible. I don't. I mean, that's, I don't the, know. that's the only rational explanation as to why the Suns wouldn't be looking at him outside of what I'm sure you're going to say right now, and that is that Robert Sarver is not going to pay for David Griffin. Yeah. But could Kevin McHale be that cheap? Yeah, Jim Paxson, league Jim Paxson could be, but Kevin McHale, I mean, I feel like if you're going to get Kevin McHale to come back and come out of quote-unquote retirement and step back into a front office position, you're going to have to pay him pretty well because what, what other incentive does well, he really have? Here, here's a question. Would you, what are the odds that, because, you know, we talked about the idea of, you know, Jones is, Jones is the GM, but they hire, they bring in a guy in like a Lon Babby-ish type of role. Would Jim Paxton or Kevin McHale be good at that? No. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to say no to that mm-hmm. necessarily. I mean, if you're looking at it from kind of a, uh, you know, personnel analysis type thing. I mean, Understands clearly, again, kind of Jim Paxson is the director of pro personnel. I mean, clearly he's qualified. Clearly. <laughs> just based on his current position. 
Well, just because you have a title doesn't mean you're good at that. <laughs> he, said job. he also does live in Paradise Valley, so I'm not sure how much he can be doing for the Bulls from his home Paradise Ernie Valley. Ernie Grunfeld was the GM, <laughs> <laughs> the general manager of the Washington Wizards, nay Bullets, <laughs> for almost two decades. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean... At the end of the day, I do think it's going to be James Jones, and I think they'll bring somebody in that's going to be kind of that more experienced, more seasoned guy, and perhaps it'll be one of these guys. But Perhaps, yeah. I would think that, though, if their names are being floated out there as GM and they don't get the GM job, I don't know, would they then also be interested, still be interested in coming in at a... At a job with more power? But, <laughs> I mean, is it really more power, or is it more of a, hey... Just babysit this this young GM that we have who has you know a little bit of ex- very little experience. Right. Well, and then I guess like the other question is, I mean, Jim probably may have those contacts, but I think one of the biggest knocks on James Jones is because he's just so fresh out of the league. Whereas being a coach and coming fresh out of the league, which is still had been extremely rare up until a couple of years ago. Um. They're at least interacting with the players, like directly, mm-hmm. and they already they have relationships with those players from the standpoint of being a coach. Mm-hmm. To be a GM, you need to have relationships with the other GMs, right? And the knock on Jones was because he's so fresh, he doesn't have those relationships yet. I mean, yes, it's true he was like very high up in the um, players, players association. association, so he does have some interactions with them, but. From the sta- from the perspective of oh hey I can call him up I can like actually initiate a trade or gauge interest in things like that he doesn't have those relationships right. yet so bring maybe, somebody in who has those but do those either of those guys have those like I mean Kevin McHale's been out of that side of the business for so long does he still have those relationships mm-hmm. with the turnover that's occurred in the league and and whatnot. I mean, Paxton may just because he has actually been in a front office. Right, right. Well. But again, Paxton, bad juju. Bad juju indeed. Time will tell. Time will tell. Well, let's really quickly transition out of the GM search uh, and and hop into everyone's favorite longest running (laughs) segment on Fanning the Flames. Paul, what's up with TJ Warren? Still injured. Still don't know why. He had a weird cryptic tweet, but all his tweets are weird and cryptic recently. Still might be out 250 grand. Yes. Got it. And on that note, we'll take a quick break. All right. So we said earlier in the episode that we're at the point where the last three games of the season are kind of a formality. The Suns have clinched that 14% chance at number one, at the number one pick. And um, we figured because of that, let's go ahead and kind of give a rundown, give our thoughts on Season awards, I guess you can say. We'll call them highs awards. Highs and lows. Yeah, highs and lows of the season uh, with players, the team, etc. So we'll run through some of these. Paul, you'll share your thoughts. I'll share my thoughts. We'll see if we get into any arguments because that's always fun. Because we yeah. haven't gone through. I don't know what you're going to say. No, I don't either. Say. I don't know what I'm going to say yet. So <laughs> anyway, let's start yeah. with this one. What player, event, game, whatever it might be, biggest surprise of the season for you this year? Um, my biggest surprise of this season, I, I really want to say it's going to be that they were worse than I expected them to be. Like, I mean, we just everything that 
coming out of the offseason, I mean, yeah, there was the whole point guard issue, but we figured that would be solved at some point. Mm-hmm. But just the way, like, I did, I just didn't expect it to be this bad. You know, we expected last year to have been the bottom, and we kind of, yeah, it may have only been like 25, 26 wins, maybe high, mm-hmm. high 20s, but to actually... Go, keep going down. I didn't think, didn't realize there was more down to go. Right. Especially when you, you know you bring in, you upgrade at the center position. You know, Josh Jackson's got another year under him. Booker's got another year under him. All these. It's not like we actually we did change over the roster a lot. But not think about it. But and then like the players that we did bring in, like Trevor Reason and whatnot, they just that they were not good for us. Oh, that that those moves all fell flat. On. Yeah, like everything, everything that could go wrong did, and that was really the biggest surprise for me. Like until the last month or so, like really post All Star break, has it really kind of? It was just been so disappointing. Well, let me ask you this though. Yes, yeah. the Suns will, in all likelihood, end up with a worse record this year than they had last year. But did this season feel worse than last season felt to you? At certain points, yeah, just because because last year I don't think we had those kinds of expectations. We were still actively trying to tank. We expected the losses to be there, so you were looking for different things. Yeah, we were still looking for those different things. We were looking for like those individual improvements that we could hopefully bank on as like you know those things continue to happen. But when some of those didn't come and then like the other certain holes in the roster that were never filled and just the expectations of seeing improvement and then it not coming was, yeah. See, and I take a different perspective because, again, I understand that the Suns are going to win less games this year than they won last year. But I feel like the season as a whole didn't feel nearly as bad and is hopeless and maybe it's because we obviously did have those periods of time when it just you know they were losing every game by 20 plus points they're getting blown out even if it ended up being a close game 17 game right even if it ended up being a close game there was never really a expectation that they would be able to pull it out right but then the the switch flipped a little bit they had some success on and off throughout the season yeah and and i also take into account the fact that they played a lot of the year with with a lot of guys out. I mean, T.J. Warren hasn't played since what January, January? February. Yeah, I mean there there were there were a lot of mitigating factors that went into it, and um, but at the same time, I think coming out of the season though, I think I'm probably as positive as I was last year. You know, but we came out of last season positive. We weren't positive until that draft happened, right? You know, this year it's like okay. Yeah, we've got some players here that like could be something, mm-hmm. you know. And now it's like, either can we get the guy who brings us over the t- turns that could be something into oh this is something, right? Or those guys take those leaps to say oh this is something, and we actually surround them with the right types of players, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like so that's kind of where it just kind of sits right now. So there's there's optimism going into the season, but the season. When I was in it, it was 
it was it felt like more of a slog, I think, because I didn't expect this season to I didn't go into it agreeing to a season this rough. Yeah, and maybe it's it's the prism through which you look yes. at it. Oh, 100%. Perhaps I look at it from the perspective of I see Devin Booker improving. Even though he struggled his three-point shot this year, he is, like we talked about last episode, really turning into an all-around score. I see positives from DeAndre Ayton. Uh, even though he still looks tentative at times, you're starting to see flashes of what we expect him to eventually become. Right. Kelly Oubre came in. Played really well, added much-needed energy to the team. Added much-needed chemistry. Right, chemistry to the team as well. Josh Jackson, in the past month-plus, has suddenly become a marksman from three-point range. We don't need to talk about what happens inside (laughs) the three-point arc, but he's shooting over 40% um, since the beginning of March uh, from three-point range. So positives like that make me feel like, hey, the wins weren't there, but they're building. And again, maybe it's just my optimistic outlook on on things like the Suns and life in general. Maybe it's because we're the podcast of optimism. That's where I'm coming from with it. Now, from my perspective, my biggest surprise, what'd you say? (laughs) You said you're the podcast. (laughs) You know what, Paul? This is the podcast of optimism, whether you like it or not. Even if I'm, I, I have enough optimism for both of us. How about that? My pessimism can't bring you down. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Never. Your, your your level of pessimism doesn't doesn't negate my level of optimism. That's equal to like three full people. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Mine just brings you down to like one and a half. Right. People. Exactly. But it's still, I don't know. I'd say like two point three. But at any rate, my surprise, my biggest surprise from this season was Rashawn Holmes. Okay. Uh, you know he he came over from from Philly, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of. Knew what you were, or knew what kind of what to expect. Do you remember? I really. I do not. Was it like rights to somebody? I don't remember. We'll Doesn't have to, matter. We'll have to look that up. I'll um, look it up. You <laughs> look that up. But it, it, I didn't watch him in Philadelphia. Nobody. To be did. honest. Uh, but what I read about when he was coming over was hey, high energy guy. He's going to give you 110% all the time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is great. Uh, And at the beginning of the year, he was kind of stuck to the bench because Tyson Chandler was there. Once Tyson Chandler was gone, you know, he stepped in and throughout the year has played himself to a point where he's another guy that you want the Suns to absolutely keep around. Right. Yeah. And I I would say even, you know, more value added than Allen Williams added. And... Which makes me wonder if we'll be be able to bring him back because we signed Alan Williams to an $18 million contract. You know, how much more is Rashawn Holmes going to want? Right. Well, and and, I mean, you look at his kind of progression throughout the year. Um, Once he started getting that playing time, you know, he started putting up the points. When December and January really statistically seemed to be his best months when he was going for you know ten plus points a game, almost five rebounds a game, uh, and playing you know just a shade under twenty minutes, which isn't too shabby. What I've also been really happy to see is this month in all two games we've played with Aiton not playing, he's gotten a couple of starts, and you know this month he's playing thirty plus minutes a game, averaging fourteen and a half and and nine and a half. So he 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 came in. And came in with expectations that, you know, he's going to be a motor guy, 
maybe will contribute some, but I think he's contributed a lot more uh, than what I expected. So because of that, right. he's my biggest surprise. Did you find out what we, what, what, how we ended up getting him? We just bought him. Okay. Just bought him. All right. Just traded him for cash. It's like, it's like the, the transfers in soccer, right? Yes. So, okay. So that one being said, that one being done, let's go to the next topic here. And I don't know, this might, this might cross over for you in, in right. your, your, your pessimistic surprise, your pessimistic biggest surprise. But what was your biggest disappointment of the season? Biggest disappointment? Um, the whole GM situation, honestly. Just, and with that specifically, not really making the efforts to truly address the holes that were in the roster, which then propelled the team into a poor start, which carried through the season. I, you know, if they had addressed that point guard situation, even with a stopgap, like average level starting point guard in the league, I feel like that would have helped so much for the team, you know, or whether it was, you know, bringing somebody in at the power forward spot. Um, that was uh, that would probably be my biggest disappointment of the season, just because that whole situation screwed everything else up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, yeah, I see where you're coming from with that. Obviously, because yeah. that really was kind of the the that that thorn in the side of the Suns throughout the year. Continues yeah. to be that thorn in the side of the Suns, and hopefully will be a thorn that is removed this off season in one way, shape, or form. But we'll, we'll see. Um, for me, and it's difficult for me to say. This is difficult for me to say because mm-hmm. I love this guy. I've loved him for a long time. Him and I are tight. Not really, but, you know, Josh Jackson. You know, we saw I last year. I thought about saying him, yeah. but. Did you expect me to say him? No, yeah. I did not. This is like the most <laughs> pessimistic thing I've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> so we saw last year, his rookie year, he had that terrible first half of the season, then turned it on the second, not even really the second half of the season, but after the calendar turned to right, 2018. Right, once Booker went down, and then he kind of became the uh, primary right. scoring so, option. So then we saw in Summer League him perform horribly. Horribly. And <laughs> we said back then, and I still think this holds true, with Jackson it comes down to him trying to do too much. Right. He wants to carry the load. He wants to be the guy... And when he puts that pressure on himself, he plays way out of control and just doesn't contribute anything. He needs more Mikhail Bridges in him, and Mikhail Bridges needs a little bit more Josh Jackson. Fair. That's, I like that a lot. You know, like, Mikhail plays so within himself, which he's very good at, mm-hmm. but he doesn't stretch himself to help to expand that bubble of what is Mikhail Bridges' game, whereas... Right. Josh Jackson is like... There's nothing that man can't do on the court. Nope. <laughs> nothing that man won't try on the court. What did... Uh, <laughs> I think when I was on Solar Panel a few weeks ago, the, the nickname for Jackson that we that was dubbed, I think maybe by... Sounds like either an Espo, Espo or Either Espo or Dave. Maybe Tim. Nah. It wasn't me. That much <laughs> I can tell you. Was was uh, no fucks <laughs> because really he, he doesn't and and you know I think it was Dave because he was talking about how Jackson took the opportunity to say you want somebody to play the four I'll play the freaking four I don't care right and he goes in and does it 
So I agree that Mikhail Bridges needs more of that no fucks attitude. Right. So he can allow himself to expand. And maybe, you know, he's a rookie. He's starting to get more, you know, frequent minutes as the season went on. So maybe that, that'll happen at some point. And, you know, I, I say that about Jackson because as we got into the season, he started off pretty, pretty horrifically. I mean, right. the, the, the second half of last year didn't carry over to the first half of this year. What did carry over was his performance in Summer League. Now, yeah. he did the same thing that he did last year, though. And when the calendar turned to 2019, he started playing better. He really likes January through April. <laughs> yeah, it's just, the weather is beautiful. He, it really gets him going. But, but while that pleased me, what he needs to do is do that all freaking year. And now we have... Like we were talking about earlier, his three-point percentage has suddenly ticked up here during you know March and April. We won't talk about it inside the arc. But yeah, but then... Or will we? Because we're talking about disappointments. Right. It's like, okay, <laughs> now though you're, you're, you're shooting from two-point range is worse. Yeah. And, and maybe as a whole, it's better than it was earlier in the year. Right. But if... His three-point shooting is going to improve. You'd like to see there be a you know a, it's an like equal the, uh, increase in his two-point shooting. It's the opposite of like Booker, where his three-point shooting went down, but his overall shooting went up. Yeah, is, what's going went, on? Like I don't understand. I don't understand the math of that, and I'm the accountant. I mean, I understand the math of it, but it's just kind of crazy how much other things had to go up because that went down so much. Right. But yeah, it's. I mean, there's a reason that a lot of Suns fans and Suns Twitter have looked at Josh Jackson as him and TJ Warren as the expendable ones. And particularly because, you know, we basically have four threes on our roster right. right now. And you just can't survive with that. We need a four. We need a point guard. And we need to, you know, figure out that minute situation. So if we're going to do that, somebody's got to go. And the... Though I like Josh Jackson, you know, his – and I think he could turn into something. Like if he, if he does settle it down, I think there he could be a really good player. Mm-hmm. You know, like he he has all the tools. Like he's, he's what they call a five-tool player in baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the defense, both steals and blocks. He can give assists. He'll get you some rebounds. You know, he he's – he gets you fantasy points in all the categories, right. except for the percentages. Yeah, and and you know, I say that he's my biggest disappointment, but I am in no way, shape, or form giving up on him. Right. I think that he could eventually be the type of player that Sean Marion was. Yeah. I really think that. Maybe not as proficient at rebounding, but right. just kind of that this guy brings energy, this guy does. But the playmaking would offset that. Right, right. This guy does things that, you know, the, the intangibles that you want in a player on the court. But it's a matter of him, again, Hard figuring out how it. to play within himself, which we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else to say about him, but besides we'll see. We'll see. The question is, will, the question is, will we see it in a Suns uniform? That's the question. Yeah, and you know, I think this off season, <coughs> either Warren or Jackson are going to get moved. If not both. If not both. Now Warren, you've got the positives being he can now shoot three pointers. He's inefficient, efficient, but he can score. Yeah. Um, 
not much in terms of passing, but hey. But then you've got the problem of, and, and he has a, has a reasonable contract. Then you've got the problem of he keeps getting freaking injured. So how much is that going to, how much is that going to affect his value? Now, Jackson, you have the ups and downs that come with him, but he's also a young kid still. He's still a very young player that has upside. So maybe at the end of the day, he's the one that truly has more value between the two because of that upside and the, and the, the, the lack of this, you know, constant injury history. Yeah. So Josh Jackson, you disappointed me, but I still love you. That's that's my ultimate conclusion here. So he's your son. Sure. I'm not I'm not mad. I'm, I'm not disappointed. Mad you, I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, I guess that's literally this topic. Disappointment. So again, we'll see. We'll we see. will see. All right. Let's let's go on to the next one and then we'll take a quick break. Maybe we'll just take a break right now. You know what? Let's take a break right now. All right. We'll be right back. Sounds good. Okay, next topic, Paul, is going to be. Team MVP, not named Devin Booker. And go. Kelly Oubre. Hmm. Even though he's there such a short period of time. They, yeah. I mean, until he showed up, this there was nobody on the team. Even Devin Booker was honestly, like, under, arguably underperforming. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe like like in his stats wise, he was doing fine, but he was um, like you could tell he was getting frustrated. He wasn't happy on the court and whatnot. But Kelly Oubre came; he injected life into this team, and it took a little bit, and it took really it took getting Tyler Johnson as well to really, as I said in the in one of our earlier uh, points of like not having that point guard. Yes, Tyler Johnson was isn't a true point guard, but he was good enough to hold down that position. And bringing in those two guys really kind of really just gave some cohesion to the lineup, gave some energy to the lineup, gave some I don't want to call it veteran presence because both those guys are still pretty young, but just some players with actual NBA experience in those positions. Mm-hmm. But, and of, of the two of them, obviously, like, Kelly Oubre really did change the culture. And it's kind of crazy. I mean, how much just him being around, his energy, his willingness to just go crazy on the court. But unlike Josh Jackson, be a little bit more controlled about it mm-hmm. and make the right plays more often than not and just like on defense frustrate other guy, other teams but like just show that activity that is so, like the, the thing about defense and how it's just so infectious like if you have the like the one guy who's trying or the two guys who are trying how much that makes the other guys go hey I need to get in on this mm-hmm. Or I'm going to look that much worse or, you know, like, you know, we've got a shot here because these guys are doing so much. I just need to do a little bit more than I'm doing to be successful. And so much of that turned with him and just the way that like even like, you know, we brought those two guys in. We're not really talking about wanting to keep Tyler Johnson. Right. I mean, if it wasn't if he wasn't playing night, it wasn't going to cost 21 million or 19 million or whatever the hell it was. Sure. I 
I wouldn't mind him as a third guard. Can you can switch between the positions, play a little bit of backup point or shooting guard, but with the nineteen million dollar price tag, it's like if they can what, move what, him, what, move what, him. What, what what package can I include him in to get star X because we need salary? For right, him? right. Uh, and I was actually going to say Kelly Oubre also. So I'll say tre- I'll say Trevor Ariza because <laughs> since he was such a malcontent and such an asshole apparently in the locker room and they had to move him, we got Kelly Oubre because of it. How about that? There, right? Put a put a put a positive twist on a negative situation. Um, but I, I completely agree with you about Oubre. I mean, he has brought an entirely different new energy to the team. I think there was a lot to be said about the fact that before he even stepped foot on the floor. At Talking Stick Arena, he was like almost already a fan favorite. Yeah, because his what first two or three games were on the road. Right, I think it was two. Yeah, and he came in uh, that first game against the who were they playing? Thunder. We were there. Right? Yeah, yeah, and and again was already pretty much a fan favorite, and I think that plays into. Some of what you were so getting dreamy. to is he is super dreamy, and he's got a Misfits tattoo on a huge Misfits tattoo on his leg. I mean, that's pretty badass. Um, but I think I think the energy that he even created within the Suns fans right. helped improve the team. Because to your point about you know guys saying, "Look how hard Uber is working. I want to work that hard." I think to the same extent, sit there and go, look how much the fans freaking love this guy. Right. I want I want to work hard because I want to keep up that level too. I want to get to that level, or I want I want to be ingratiated with the fans like like he is in such a short period of time. Right. I think and I think there's a level of like his, for lack of a better term, je ne sais quoi, mm-hmm. uh, that he brought when he came in, and like you said, it like the fans latched onto that positively. It like prior to that trade, I mean, really, Sun's Twitter was getting dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I mean, there there are guys out there who like all they did was champion Devin Booker or the Suns or like DeAndre Ayton, and they were like they like flipped the switch and were. Just like all they did, turning into all they were doing was nitpicking. Right. But then Ubre comes in, brings this energy, brings this life. It took some time to for it to turn into wins, but those games became competitive. Mm-hmm. Those games had energy, and that was all on him. Yeah, and the awesome thing about Ubre too is he plays with swagger. Right. But not like a dickhead about it. That makes sense. <laughs> like I, I, you know, you've got those guys like. Russell Westbrook plays with swagger, but Devin you Booker look at him. Devin Booker <laughs> plays with swagger. Devin, Devin Booker can be a little bit of a dickhead sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> Kelly Oubre. I feel like I, I don't know that I would. I would be surprised if I saw a fan of another team being like, "Oh, that Kelly Oubre guy is such a douche," because he just seems like he's out there enjoying the fact that he's getting paid millions of dollars to play a game. And good on him because he should be. I would be very happy if I was getting paid millions of dollars. I'd be happy if I was getting paid thousands of dollars to play a game. I'd be happy if I got paid dollars to play a game. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's one of those things where that's that's the type of attitude, especially from a young guy. And I call him a young guy even though he's like a veteran on this team. Right. But that those younger guys really should should have to see. It's, it's like the... 
I don't know why this just popped in my head. Do you remember Major League Two? Yeah. Rube Baker. Which one was Rube Baker? The catcher that was from, like, some hickish town. Oh, yeah, yeah, the podunk catcher yeah. who, like... Yeah, was, and he's, like... He's just like, oh, shucks. Yeah, and he, <laughs> he has that... He has that... The, Never the, seen a boob. The players get into a fight in the <laughs> locker room between a doubleheader, and he's, like, I was just speaking to a young man who hails from, you know, whatever, some suburb of Cleveland, and he was telling me that the biggest patch of grass he ever gets to see is when he comes here and watches us play. And, oh, heck, boys, we get to... We get paid to play this game. How can you not love that? I want to go out there every day. And he's like limping around because he hurt his ankle. And, and he's like, so coach, if you want me to play, I'm going to play. Even though I'm hurt. That's kind of what I feel like Kelly Oubre is like. Upset. You know, he's not really a podunk kid. And he has super, he's super, clearly fan, not a podunk kid. super fantastic style and taste in music, obviously. So the attitude, though, is there. So yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think Kelly Oubre really changed the complexion of the team. And we say that in the team won 18 games. But imagine what it would have been without him. Right. <laughs> Man, we might, we might have just given up on podcasting. We might, have, we, might, we might have been the worst record in the Suns history. So, all right. And oh, the team won 18, 18 games. But, you know, he got injured. I mean, it's not like... Like I feel like they would have probably pulled out a couple of those games if some of the, if the injuries didn't happen. Yeah, well, that's kind of what yeah. I was getting at earlier. Is <clears throat> some of these injuries don't happen? The Suns, I think, win. They could have probably. Gotten I think they like would have eclipsed. I think they would have eclipsed. I, I agree with that. We so, didn't agree with that when we were making bets on podcasts. <laughs> what? What do we bet? What do we make bets on? You and I didn't. I mean, you made a bet, but oh. I mean, we, we, we had we had also. Gone through the, through the, uh, the sta- the uh, schedule and projected our wins to be rather low, right? Which were, right, heavily eclipsed. So, and I'm just looking at the game log since Ubre came to the Suns. So he played approximately. Let's see, he played 39 games for the Suns. It really, looks like. he played that many? Yeah, and they won 11 games after he got traded to the Suns. Okay, so... You doing math now? I'm doing math now, and that's... Percentages is not head math I can do. Well, just a shade over... Just shade over 25%, right? It's uh, 28%. See? See? So, anyway... I don't know what that proves, if anything. Well... (laughs) This is more just more more just an observation. It's an observation. Well, I if you take that winning percentage and carry it over the eighty-two games, it's only twenty-three wins, but still better but than twenty-one better than, <laughs> and better than eighteen. Yes. So. And I mean, there was an adjustment period there, and if you had if we had Ubre and we had Johnson from the beginning of the season, who knows what would have happened? Probably in the playoffs. We we too, we would have been Sacramento. Too, too optimistic, Paul. Was that too optimistic? We at least we might have been as competitive as Sacramento. I Not think, in the playoffs, but I think that's quite optimistic. <laughs> but that's what I think we were. A lot of us were thinking we were going to be going into the season. Right. So. Right. Well, I don't know. I I think mm, maybe not that. Good, right, but, but hey, next you know. next season. So okay, next next season. No, next season we good. We good. We good. We good. Next season. Well, gonna, well the Warriors are gonna break gonna, up. Next so. season's gonna be fun, baby. Especially the Warriors yeah. are breaking up. We keep forgetting that Kevin Durant's gonna be here. 
How do we yeah, keep forgetting that? We do. We do just keep forgetting that. It's, we need to stop forgetting that. Yeah. All right. So, so next and final topic. Yes. Who on the Suns is going to take the quote-unquote next step? And what do you envision that quote-unquote next step looking like? I'm going to let you answer this one first. Because you know who I'm going to say? I do. DeAndre Ayton, baby. <laughs> right? And <clears throat> I think DeAndre Ayton's going to take the next step this next season and then take another step the season after and continue to take steps throughout his career. But there are a couple of things that I expect him to be doing next year. I think, A, he's going to play more aggressively. We've seen flashes of it. I think we've seen more flashes of it recently than we saw earlier in the year. And I think that's because he's starting to get more comfortable within himself in the NBA skin, if you will. And I think two things in particular that we're going to start seeing from Aiton next season. I think we're going to see him put the ball on the floor a lot more. All right. You know, run the break. I don't know about that. He wants to. On the floor that much. Hey, you know what? I don't have any doubt that he could do it. I mean, 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 he may get called for a travel. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) That was so... I I don't even know. Bender didn't know. Nobody knows. (laughs) I don't think that referee... Maybe that referee had like a little mini stroke, not to like... (laughs) Make 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 light of that type of medical situation, but that seems to be the only logical explanation. He just forgot what was happening. He's like, I don't know, blow my oops, I blew my whistle on accident. <laughs> I, I have to call something. <laughs> like, is he's like, okay, I either call the travel now or I just like drop down on the ground and you know, <laughs> have a seizure. yeah, fake, fake <laughs> something here. So, uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, you, we digress. What was I talking about? Oh yeah, so. Aiton running the break might be two seasons away, but you've used yeah you've used this example a couple of times I think in the past and that is you know when when he fakes a handoff to Booker and instead of handing it off just takes his guy to the to the hoop he's done that a, a few times this year uh, I think he's starting to figure out that he's as good as people think he is he just needs to realize that and start using the tools and the abilities that he has and. Consistently, consistently, and add another off season to to his you know to his experience. Get add a little more weight camp. on him. Get more weight on him. Well, just a little bit. He's not. He's not like a. He, he looks skinny because he's so tall. But that I dude's know. Built like a brick shit house, man. I'm just, I'm just saying, so he doesn't get pushed Paul, around a little put, bit. Put your just put your pessimism away for like three I'm, minutes for me. Three minutes. I'm I'm not saying like 10, 20 pounds. I'm saying like give him like five more pounds. Okay. All right. That's. Five pounds. DeAndre Ayton, you really need that extra five pounds extra five. to truly, extra five. truly make it as a, as a in player. In the shoulders. And maybe even in as the a shoulders. human being. Just, cause you, just, like, just like traps right here that just like get... Just, just make your neck jam. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I think he's going to do that. And I think next season he's going to start shooting that three-pointer. I would not be surprised by that. It, particularly if we get Zion. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be so. And then if he misses it, Zion just like put back, put back dunks every single one because he catches it from like the, three, the free throw line because right. that's how that's where. How <laughs> many how many games are gonna have to get like stopped though to like replace backboards and stuff? You know? I don't know. That might be a little extreme with technology yeah. these days. Um, but I mean, we we see it on Twitter. We know yeah. that DeAndre is working on that three. We know the stroke's looking pretty good. Right. It's just a matter of. 
implementing it into game situations, and I think that that's going to happen next season. I also at one point thought that Amara was going to shoot threes at some point in his career. He, he never tried. really did. But he did become an, a pretty efficient mid-range jump it, shooter. If, if Amari played now, he would definitely be right. Threes. Right. It was, I mean, it, it was. It was just on the cusp of oh, hey, the big guys who can go inside should also be able to play outside. Right. And you know, Aiden didn't shoot threes because their goal for him was not to shoot threes. They wanted to slowly build his game. Sure. They didn't want. To, he was getting enough new stuff thrown at him as it was. It's like okay, we want you to focus in this area of the court offensively and we'll spread it out from there. I feel like assuming, I mean, Aiton is not playing tomorrow. Yeah. I think odds are probably probably, probably be done, but if, if he's not, they bring him back. I say, give him like, give him some like 10, 15 minutes, one game. Just let him say, just go shoot threes. See how that goes. Every shot you take is a three. He's like, I don't care if you're being covered, double teamed, triple teamed, just be, pull a booker. Just, just pretend, pretend to Curry. Put, it Put up in some there. contacts. Oh, Curry. Curry, <laughs> who can see now and is shooting 51% from three-point range since he got and th- contact And throwing cross-court behind-the-back passes with perfect execution. I don't even know. I don't know anymore, man. That guy. How crazy is that? That It's like, oh, by the way, I've been saying blurry my whole life and I'm still this <laughs> good. Life. Now I can see. Hmm. And if you don't know what we're talking about, look it up. It's pretty, pretty remarkable, actually. <laughs> so... Anyway, that is who I think is going to take the next step, and that is what I believe said step is going to look like. Paul, what are your thoughts? I think it's going to be Devin Booker. I'm kidding. Could <laughs> Not be. that he can't. Just imagine. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, Maybe he's uh, going to get caught. He, I, think he, I think he took that step before he got hurt. <laughs> Right. And, you know, we talked about it. Like, I was like, who's going to stop? And he came two points away from getting that third game in a row. Yeah. I, I feel like he didn't want it. I really feel like he didn't want to have scored 50 points in three straight losses because even if he had gotten the 50, he wasn't, there was no chance they could win. I wouldn't say he didn't want it, but I will say he, that. He was, he was, he was. I think he wanted to win the game. Because right. they were in a close game and they had an opportunity to pull it out, so yeah, he was facilitating. But it turns out that the only thing that could really apparently stop Devin Booker was an injury. Yeah, which well, thankfully um, wasn't. A, actually, it's not a serious injury. Although I, we don't know when the Suns say ankle injuries, two to four weeks. I mean, they didn't say it about Booker, but they did about Warren. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I'm actually going to go with Mikael Bridges. Okay. I mean, we we've got rookies. I like that. That those are the guys who you expect to take leaps, because um, he's he did great this year. I mean, it was a really underrated performance just because the stats, stats yeah. the stats that people really care about. He didn't put up huge, but I mean, his percentages were good. I mean, I think he went into a little bit of a shooting slump uh, after the All Star break, but he seemed to have come out of that a little bit. But from from Defense, he's he play he start he plays defense like a vet, mm-hmm. and so I expect as he gets even more comfortable on the court, his defense will be that much better. But I think the leap is going to be more on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. He's gonna as as we were saying before, I think he needs a little bit more Josh Jackson in him, in that. He has confidence to step outside of himself because I think he has skills there. 
Not that he's going to become like this full all-around player. Not that he's going to do what Devin Booker did where he came in essentially, essentially to be a three, three-point three shooter, sharpshooter guy, and he just opened up a Swiss Army knife of offensive mm-hmm. skills. I don't expect Mikhail Bridges to do that, but I think he could become like a really – like a Danny Green type who Danny Green, if – almost won finals MVP. So right. that I'd be very happy if Mikhail Bridges became a Danny Green type or even like if he sticks with just like the three-pointers and whatnot, maybe he starts offensively playing more like like a Rip Hamilton or, you know, where you're like actually running actions for him, running off screens and things like things of that nature. Not Not completely sure if that's really in his game, but... It could be something interesting to try. Yeah, and, and I think that's a you know that's a fair guy to take with uh, in, in this category because he did as he started to get more minutes throughout the season. I mean, he, he definitely became an incredibly valuable piece. We know the defense is there. We know the effort is there, and like you said, it's a matter of kind of piecing together piecing together that um that that offensive game and we know he can shoot the three we know he can eventually become a very good three and d guy and his his three-point shooting was a little inconsistent this year it's fallen off a bit over the past couple of months but that could also just be the rookie wall you know you've got kids that are used to playing 30 35 games a year playing twice that yeah exactly exactly so against bigger better faster people (laughs) right i think it'll all come in due course so again Reason to be optimistic, Paul, even mm. though the Suns are going to in all likelihood win 18 games this year. Maybe 19. Maybe 20. Probably not 21. No. So, anyway, okay, well, that wraps that one up. Any other thoughts or comments about anything at all, Paul? Uh, nope. All right. Yes, sir. With that being said, then, I guess we can go ahead and wrap up this episode. Uh, like I said earlier, you can catch us on Twitter. I'm at SosasJ, Paul. At Dervish of World. And the pod is at Fan the Flames NBA. Like we always say here on Fan the Flames, and like I always say, I always say, thank you very much for listening. And depending on when you're listening, have yourself a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Thanks again. Just